You ever noticed how something can be so present and yet go so invisible in life? But then one day you notice that thing and then you can't stop seeing it? For years now, there have been these decals that have adorned the back of cars that say, the salt life. I've even seen them on t-shirts, but I never really paid much attention to them. They've been everywhere, but kind of invisible and hidden in, you know, behind the scenes. But in this past week, I can't stop seeing this decal all of a sudden. It has been popping up everywhere I go. The salt life, the salt life. I'm like, God, are you trying to tell me something here? I think he might. <laughs> it shouldn't be a surprise. Because if you know what the salt life means, you know it represents a, a lifestyle. It, it, it represents a lifestyle for people who desire to be out on the water. Which is no surprise here in Florida. We're surrounded by it. People want to be out on the boats or out fishing or surfing or doing whatever else. I shouldn't be surprised even on the vehicles that I found these decals. Backs of trucks, SUVs, maybe uh, Volkswagens. I've seen them on there for, from time to time as well. But what did surprise me this last week was who I saw driving a vehicle that had this massive decal on the back of it. I was in traffic. I was coming back from doing a homebound visit, and there was this huge Suburban. Looked like one of the presidential detail Suburbans. And on the back, I mean, covering the whole window was the salt life with palm trees and all this stuff. I expected when I pulled up alongside of it to see a younger person or maybe even a middle-aged person. I was not expecting to see probably what was in their early 80s driving this vehicle, pumping out reggae music. <laughs> I was really taken aback by it. Uh, my point, though, is, is that sometimes we associate things with people that we think fit the bill, right, um, or belong and only find out that that's not always the case. I guess it depends uh, really on what we're trying to measure somebody up against. How do we measure somebody up against something uh, or someone else? Maybe that depends on what the qualifiers are. And that's especially important when you're talking about something that, I don't know, can have many different meanings per se. Take salt, for instance. Salt's composed of sodium and chloride, two different Two different things on their own, but when combined, they are an ingredient that's used to both preserve and to season. And then look at the word salt itself. Salt has a whole variety of different meanings in it. For instance, my daughters call me salty sometimes when I'm being cranky or don't give them what they want. They use that word quite often in my life. I've been told at times that I'm not worth my salt. And when you think of that, what's that mean? It means you're not worth your pay, right? And even Jesus talks about salt today. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Is Jesus telling us to be salty? To take part of the, the salt life? Perhaps. But what does he actually mean? He's not talking about the, the salt life as promoted in car details. Nor is he talking about being salty in the sense of being ornery or cranky for that matter. He is talking about preserving ourselves in his manner, in his teachings. Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Why does Jesus tell this to the disciples? 
Well, it seems that the disciples themselves are a little salty today in the sense that they're upset because somebody's been exercising demons in the name of Jesus, and they're not part of this circle of 12. Perhaps they were expecting Jesus now to rebuke this unnamed exorcist. But instead, Jesus uses this opportunity to season his disciples, to teach them, telling them that anyone who does a mighty work in his name will not be able to speak against him, and that anyone who is for them is not against them. In other words, disciples, this can come from outside of your circle. It doesn't have to be one of you 12 to do this. This all follows right after Jesus had just got done telling the disciples that those who want to be first must be last and servant of all. And how anybody who receives a child in the name of Jesus receives Jesus himself. More importantly, receives the one who sent Jesus. Jesus all along here in this teaching has been setting the tone for what the characteristics for the discipleship looks like. The seasoning the disciples with the salt of his teachings. What Jesus says to the disciples here shows that the salt life according to Christ is not limited to a group of people, to a number of people. It relates to the overall love of God. And those who, who do an act for the Lord, in the name of the Lord, properly for the Lord, is commendable. In fact, he commends those who confront the demonic forces in the name of Jesus, even if they aren't in that circle. And now I have to admit, I've struggled with what Jesus says next a little bit. Jesus says, for truly, truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. I struggled to figure out how this fit in this context right here. What Jesus is really saying gives you, you the disciples, or as it gives you in general, the cup of water. Well, here's what he actually means by that. Anybody who nourishes somebody else in the words of Christ, that's a commendable act. Because Christians, too, need nourishment. We need that cup of water to be given to us because sometimes our thirst needs to be quenched. How often are we drinking soda or vinegar or something else outside of that nourishment? Second, this also shows that even the smallest act of kindness, even the smallest act of compassion glorifies the Lord. Even the smallest act that's, more importantly, that's done in the name of the Lord gives glory to God. And when somebody does that, that person then is worth his or her salt, according to Christ's teachings. You think about Jesus' teachings. They speak to nourishment and a great small acts of kindness done in the name of the Lord, but they also speak to what happens to somebody who causes injury to somebody else, who's not living in those teachings and causes somebody else to stumble, whether that's in the group of 12 or outside of it. It doesn't matter. As Jesus speaks, he talks about causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. And in Mark, the little ones don't just mean the children. The little ones are the believers. Those who are still being nourished in the faith. As great and small acts done in the name of the Lord glorify God, so do small or great acts of harm cause great detriment for the one who causes that harm. 
And we know that the Lord can overcome anything, but we need to stop and think about what we're teaching, what we're promoting. How are we seizing other people? What kinds of things are we doing? Are we being salty in our mannerisms towards somebody else? Are we causing them to stumble because we're not nourishing ourselves? Are we leaning on our own understanding in what we're trying to promote? And what are people seeing? Are we, are we Christians in name only? <laughs> or are we actually showing them who we are? Maybe sometimes, you know, there, there are great acts of God going on out in society, but they're invisible to us because we fail to see them. That all brings us back to what Jesus now talks about here to his disciples in the stumble, in causing people to stumble. Jesus has a solution to that. Cut off your hand. Cut off your foot. Get rid of, gouge out your eyes. It's better to go lame into life than to go two-footed or two-handed or full-bodied into hell because you've caused somebody. Now, Jesus isn't promoting self-mutilation here. He's not telling us to go home and take the hacksaw and start doing you know, self-amputation on ourselves. He's, he is talking about spiritual amputation, though. Getting rid of those things that's causing us to do it. Think about it. Our hands sometimes want to reach out and grab things that we shouldn't be grabbing. Our feet sometimes want us to, to lead us to places that we dare not go. Our eyes. Our eyes look at somebody and stare with glare. Or sometimes, otherwise, they, they stare and linger a little bit too long because we covet something. And that causes not only us to stumble, but causes those around us to stumble as well. Maybe we're sometimes the little ones in faith. Not sometimes, all the time. We never stop growing. We never stop being nourished. But when we're not being nourished, we're not being seasoned. And when we're not being seasoned, we're losing our saltiness. You know what Jesus says about that? That salt needs to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. How are we being seasoned today? How are we taking a part of Jesus' salt life? Are we, are we staying plugged in in fellowship? In, in, in the sacraments and in word? Worship? Because that's where we get seasoned. Even when we turn back to God, God's able to resalt us again. To give us that season, to, to send us back out into the world to go season other people, to take part of that salt life that we so greatly enjoy in Christ. It's not too late. It's not too late to be seasoned again with that salt. How are we going to do that? How are we worth our salt? How are we measuring up in His kingdom? I found it interesting. This, this phrase, worth one salt. You think about this for a second. The Latin word for salt is sal, S-A-L. And it's widely accepted then in academic circles that sal was the root for the word salarium, which was the, the um, currency that was used to be given to Roman soldiers to go out and buy salt. And they bought salt back in the day because salt has great value. It's used as a preservative. It's used as a seasoning. 
And so think about that means then to be worth one salt means to be worth that salt as Jesus is talking about. How are we worth our salt in his kingdom? Well, first of all, we're worthy because of him alone, not because of anything we do. But to be salted and seasoned in his teachings, then we can't help to go out and season the world in his teachings, right? That makes us worth our salt when we're doing those things. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, the salt, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good except to be thrown out. And when Jesus tells us to be seasoned with the salt, he means preserve yourselves in me. And so I pray for that today. I pray that we would live up to be worthy of our salt in him. That Christ would rest in each one of you. That we would be at peace with one another. Because when we're salty according to worldly standards, when we turn back to Christ, Christ reseasons us. As Jesus says, have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. So let us go now in the peace of Christ, living confidently that we, as God's children, are worth our salt. Thanks to him. And to God be all the glory. Amen.